all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From NPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, where we discuss issues involving your children as they're growing up. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. Ensuring a safe environment for your children is an important issue for parents. Are you planning on moving into a new home? Have you wondered just how safe your home is with your child? Well, we'll be talking about how to baby and kid-proof your home, along with some other safety tips this morning on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We would love to hear from you this morning, and you can reach us by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or send us an email to kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens from MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. Legislation to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act is closer to a vote in the full House next week. The budget committees decided to advance the bill. House Speaker Paul Ryan says the measures in keeping with Republicans vow to voters. We're very pleased with where we are because we are on track and on schedule with where we've been intending to being this whole time. We've made a promise. We made a promise to repeal and replace Obamacare. We're going to keep our promise to the people that elected us. Ryan says the president is deeply involved in efforts to dismantle the ACA, also known as Obamacare, and helping to rally Republicans to get behind its replacement. President Trump is out with his first budget proposal amounting to $1.15 trillion. His plan calls for a significant boost in defense spending while it inflicts deep cuts across a large swath of other parts of government. Among the hardest hit, the Environmental Protection Agency. President Trump's budget proposals also call for deep cuts in the State Department and aid agency. NPR's Michelle Kellum and reports Secretary of State Rex Tillerson says he's up for the challenge. In a written message to his employees, Tillerson described the president's budget as, quote, an unmistakable restatement of the needs the country faces and the priorities we must establish. In recent years, the foreign affairs budget has been about $50 billion a year, and Tillerson has called that unsustainable. Trump's plan calls for a drop to $37.6 billion. Many lawmakers are pushing back, describing the cuts as draconian. Advocates for aid argue that development and diplomacy are key parts of U.S. national security. Tillerson, though, calls this a genuine opportunity to set a new course. Left untouched is the $3.1 billion the U.S. gives to Israel. Michelle Kellerman, NPR News, Washington. Federal judges in Hawaii and Maryland are blocking President Trump's revised travel restrictions against six majority Muslim countries. The ban was supposed to start today. NPR's Hansi Lowang reports the judge in Hawaii has also stopped the Trump administration from halting the U.S. refugee program for now. President Trump's revised executive order says the administration does not intend to discriminate on the basis of religion. But U.S. District Judge Derek Watson of Hawaii based his order in part on past comments by Trump's presidential campaign, which issued a press release calling for a, quote, total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. 
Judge Watson writes that a reasonable, objective observer would conclude that the ban was designed to disfavor Islam. That would violate the First Amendment's Establishment Clause, which says the government can't favor one religion over another. Other lawsuits against the revised travel ban are still in play, and the Justice Department may take these latest rulings to the appeals courts next. Hansi Luang, NPR News, New York. U.S. stocks trading lower with the Dow Jones Industrial Average down 34 points at 20,915. The Nasdaq is off four points at 5896. S&P is off five at 2380. This is NPR News. French police are surrounding a high school in the southern town of Grasse after a shooting this morning. Local authorities say they've arrested a 17-year-old student who wounded three people, including the school principal. They say five additional people were treated for shock. None of the injuries is reported to be life-threatening. Lower than normal temperatures in Georgia could affect people in grocery stores nationwide later this year. John Lawrence from member station WABE tells us some crops might be hurt by the recent winter weather. Although there's been minimal snow in Georgia this week, temperatures fell below freezing throughout much of the state. Farmers now worry about damage to their crops. Andy Lucas is with the Georgia Farm Bureau. He says fruit farmers are seeing the most damage because some of their buds started to bloom early over the past few months due to the warmer weather in January and February. When you get to this level here, when it dips down for a couple of days, it concerns because the plant is confused. It doesn't know what to do. Lucas says blueberries, peaches, and strawberries could be affected the most. State officials say they plan to survey the damage statewide Friday. For NPR News, I'm John Lawrence in Atlanta. The president of Sierra Leone is in possession of the largest uncut diamond to be found in more than 40 years in the West African country. A government spokesman says a pastor uncovered the 706-carat diamond. The diamond will be auctioned off. The government of Sierra Leone is pledging to allocate proceeds from that auction in a transparent manner. The Dow's off 35 points. It stands at 20,915. This is NPR News. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Visiting Angels, professional caregivers assisting adults at home in bathing, dressing, meals, and light housework nationwide. Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Learn more at 1-800-365-4189. This is Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one 877 MPB Ring. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, kids at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. Making sure your home is a safe place for your children is one of the most important things that you can do to prevent injuries. We'll be discussing how to make your home safe this season. And then also, we'll be taking your questions or calls, so feel free to share those with us this morning about any topics that you might be concerned about. They pertain to the health of your kids or your family. You can give us a call this morning at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 672 or you can send an email to kids at mpbonline.org. 
Well, I have a special guest with me this morning. One of my MedPs residents is here to help me out, talk about these safety issues. Dr. Katie Mitchell. Good morning, Katie. Good morning. Welcome. Thank you. So tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from originally and uh, sort of where you are right now in your training. Absolutely. Um, I'm from Petal, Mississippi, so about an hour and 45 minutes from here, and I'm currently a second year MedPeach resident. So just to remind everybody, we've had different uh, levels of training of different people, and people get confused about that. Sometimes I get confused about that. But uh, basically, you uh, you know go to college for four years, and then you have four years of medical school. And then after that, you can do some more focused training uh, that's called residency. And a uh, big, big week for residencies, uh, medical students tomorrow, nationwide, um, you know, in fact, I, I heard a, a piece this morning on MPB about it, about uh, the match. So you find out tomorrow if you're a fourth year medical student about to finish up your medical school, uh, it, where you're going to be for the next, you know, three, four, five, however long it takes to get that specialty training. So that's a residency. And then after that, there's even more specialized training sometimes uh, that you'll have fellowship training. So Katie's sort of right in the middle of that, so uh, we appreciate uh, Dr. Mitchell being here with us this morning. So safety issues, that's a big deal in pediatrics. It's something we think about um, as pediatricians with uh, not just, you know, we don't just deal with sick, um, sick kids coming in. That's a big part of a pediatric practice. But we also look at ways to help prevent injuries before they happen because that's one of the leading causes of uh, some of the, you know, some of the negative things that can happen to you, some of the bad things that can happen to your kids. And sometimes there are things that you don't normally think about, particularly if you're a family that has, you know, a newborn that's coming home. Uh, but even if you do, if, it, if you have five or six kids, sometimes things creep up that can endanger the health of your kids or extended family members may not be thinking about that. So if they go to a grandparent's house or or somewhere else. There's there's lots of things that they could get into. So we're going to be talking about that this morning. If you've got some safety issues that you uh, have some concerns about, you can give us a call this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Or if you'd like to email us, you can send an email to kids at mpbonline.org. Or if you have any other health questions, we are here for you on this spring break chilly day. So let's go to our first caller this morning. We've got Buddy on the line from Picayune. Good morning, Buddy. Good morning. Thank you for calling. Uh, thank you for taking my call. So what's your question for us this morning? Uh, yes, sir. Um, I know that most emergency rooms are not truly equipped for pediatric emergencies. How do I go about locating one that is for the Picayune area where I live? Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, just to sort of, uh, you know, sort of expand on what you what you mentioned. So every emergency room, you know, emergency rooms are really focused on emergency care. So it's acute things that happen. Uh, some of them are more serious than others. A lot of them have to do with trauma, with serious infections. Um, there are different levels or different focuses of training within emergency medicine. Most emergency rooms in the state will be staffed by individuals who have, we mentioned some additional training earlier, 
who have gone through an emergency medicine residency. So that's after medical school. Mm-hmm. They'll go through that. But there are differences in, you know, in adults, uh, adult emergency medicine and pediatric. And uh, in some of those training uh, experiences, you don't get as much training in pediatric. So if you have kids and you want to know where's the best place to take them, uh, there's a couple of rules of thumb that I would I would go by. Now, around Picayune, you know, there may be some people down there that, that may have some, some resources that you can go to. But a lot of it, you know, sort of depends on what's the emergency. So if it's, let's say, if it's a breathing problem with a, a child in your family, uh, even if they're not equipped, you know, have a person that's trained, probably the safest place is the closest place, uh, right. depending on something like that. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's not something like that, if it's, a, you know, if it's prolonged fever and you're just at your wit's end, and you're like, what do I do? Everything's closed. Uh, then you might could sort of go away from there. I, what I would tell you, buddy, is to uh, I would call around different hospitals and ask them for the volume of pediatric patients. So how many how many pediatric patients do they see in emergency rooms yearly? And if they're fairly low numbers, they're probably, you know, experience has a lot to do with it, even for people who aren't, you know, fully equipped. Now, right. every emergency room is is probably going to have at least some resources, you know, with equipment and and things to treat children. But the most important thing, of course, is are your staff there, you know, your emergency medicine staff or um, or nurses, are they going to be equipped to do that? Okay, that sounds like a good idea. And, and there's a there's a uh, regionally there's also you know with our uh, emergency medical technicians and our local hospitals uh, there's a, a, a something called Medcon. Uh, mm-hmm. So Medcom uh, really uh, sort of uh, coordinates different levels of emergencies. So any for instance, you can triage something, you can take care of it at a local hospital, but it may be something that needs to be. Uh, you know, to uh, to be transferred after stabilization to a different hospital, and that's all trend. That's all taken care of centrally in Mississippi. Of course, you know, UMC sort of serves the the state, almost all the state, as a um, as a referral center for those higher levels of care, and they can they can coordinate sometime. Another thing that's really been a big uh, boon in you know in emergency medicine and a lot of other areas in medicine is telemedicine. So, you know, for instance, our our uh, pediatric and adult ERs uh, have telemedicine where they can actually phone in to an out or an outside ER can phone in and they can have access to, uh, you know, things that are going on with the patient. They can see the patient. They can ask for, you know, certain physical exam findings and then give recommendations to that ER physician there about oh, the treatment of that okay. patient. So that's good. that may be something else to ask, you know, that uh, local ERs. And that's a big plus if you have that because you could at least get the ball rolling on what needs to be done for the patient. Right. Yeah, because I've heard – I've been an LPN for over 30 years, and I've heard a lot of horror stories about pediatrics and emergency rooms. And I've got a six-year-old now. So I have a vested interest. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So ask around. Don't be afraid to ask those questions for people and, uh, you know, the detailed things. So volume is a big one. And then uh, do they have the telemedicine, uh, you know. Um, and, and then another one might be to ask just who staffs your ER? Is it ER physicians? Do they have training in pediatrics? Um, 
I know I, I did some what we call moonlighting. It's not like the old series with Bruce Willis, but uh, it was uh, wasn't near about as fun as that. But uh, but it was uh, it you know basically I would work in a uh, in an ER and uh, I worked around Collins and Columbia and ERs there and a couple other places. Um, and you know I felt pretty good at those places about the pediatrics. Of course that changes with time, but um, but just ask them. Yeah, I would ask them questions about that and. You know, Buddy's brought up something that's important to do beforehand. You don't want to wait till you have that emergency to try to figure that out. Go ahead and figure out if something happens, where would you go? Uh, so that's some that's some good advice. Well, thanks, Buddy, for that question, and good luck to you with a six-year-old. Wow. That's, yeah, I'm 61. <laughs> many prayers for you, my friend. Thank you for a light of camp. Okay. So, yeah, it's in, and, you know, Katie's got some good experience, too, in her training. She's I actually had some training in both the adult ER and the PZR, and there's some differences there, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So many differences. Um, just the type of cases that you see come in from both sides. But I think Dr. Stewart is bringing up a good point just knowing that there's always resources available to get your child the best care um, that they need. And it's not um, a bad thing to ever ask, does this need to go somewhere else? If you're at a local ER and you're just uncomfortable or you're more concerned and you feel like you want uh, another set of eyes or to go to a bigger hospital with more experience, um, you do have that right um, to ask to go somewhere else. So that's something to keep in mind, too, if you're just ever in that situation and your parents instincts is coming out and you just think maybe there's something more to this go by it you know yeah absolutely i know a lot of parents feel funny about saying that you know we we try to tell our patients uh families or moms dads hey look this is your child and if you if you have a weird feeling it's usually right uh so we try to pay attention to that if you're not getting that uh from your physician always you know feel feel empowered to just you know say hey could we consider a different, you know, different location, different physician, uh, just to get a second opinion about things? So uh, always be proactive about that. So good question, particularly about safety. And certainly the issue about knowing what to do is a big deal in safety training. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We're talking about safety issues today. Plenty of time for you to call in with your questions or concerns. You can reach us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email us at kids at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after this break. conferences, executive orders, meetings with foreign leaders. There's plenty to follow in the first 100 days of the new administration, and NPR News will be there, digging deep into the facts and bringing you multiple points of view. Listen every day. There's a lot to be discovered about Mississippi. Like the little-known places you can visit on a Mississippi road trip. Or where to find a local brewery for a unique experience. Every Friday morning at 10, we take you on an hour-long journey through Mississippi. It's music, cuisine, culture, and history. And you never know where our next stop will be. 
I'm Mary Margaret Miller. And I'm Sharia Britt. Be sure to join us Friday mornings at 10 for Next Stop Mississippi on MPB Think Radio. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens with Dr. Jimmy Stewart. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, kids at mbbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with Dr. Katie Mitchell, and we're talking about safety issues for your child and your family this morning. Would love to hear any kind of questions you have about that or any other health issue that's involved in your family. You can reach us this morning at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. So, you know, safety, uh, you know, homes we think of as home base. You know, there's safe havens that our kids go to and can hunker down in. And we don't think about some of the, the issues with safety a lot of times just because it's home. You always think about home as being safe. Uh, but there are some risks that are very preventable. Uh, you know, just some, some data about some of the, the leading causes of injury and death. You know, SIDS, uh, which is Southern uh, Sudden Infant Death Syndrome, uh, that's a big one. So that's the third leading cause of death, death less than one year of age. Uh, and it's totally preventable by some things that you can do. Uh, poisonings, you know, two to three deaths per day. Um, that's over 300 emergency room visits uh, that uh, affect, uh, you know, kids just from uh, from poisonings, from unintentional poisonings of drinking something or taking something. Burns, about two Kids per day will get burned enough to uh, go to the ER. Again, that's about 300 ER visits a day. Then you have things like falls, uh, certainly a horrendous outcome with drowning with uh, pools or water sources that are close to your house. And then, uh, you know, we want to go out from cars, I mean, from from your house to vehicles. Uh, You know, that's a big one, particularly over the age of four, the leading cause of death in children uh, has to do with motor vehicle collisions. So, Having a safe environment there is also important. Um, and all these, these are all things that we can prevent, right? I mm-hmm. mean, it's um, the things that we, sometimes you can get sort of lax with that and think that, oh, okay, well, you know, I've done this over and over again. I've bowled water all my life. I don't have to take that into account. Absolutely. We see that all the time in the PZR and it can be a mom or a dad holding their infant while they're cooking and they've done it every day for the past six months. And then that one day they just put their hand right down in the water because they just don't realize that it's that hot. Um, so that's something to always be mindful of. The day that we think they're not going to do something, that's the day they're going to say, hey, you know what? I'm curious. Um, so always keep that in mind. Yeah, and then there's some kids that just won't learn, right? <laughs> so there's their, uh, you know, and particularly for families like, you know, like Buddy called in, you know, he's 60, got a six-year-old. You forget a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really think there's some therapeutic um, psychology going on about all the bad stuff that happened with your kids. You forget about that. Uh, and if suddenly you have another one, uh, all of a sudden you be, you're you're like, oh my goodness, I forgot about all these things. So it's real quick that that toddler can reach up on the stove and get burned or pull that water on themselves. 
Uh, and and thinking about that ahead of time is mm-hmm. certainly something you want to do. Uh, one overarching principle of safety in the home uh, is, you know, graded responsibility. We've talked about that a lot on the show, and um, it's that's a big one. So if you have a, a, a child that really, you know, can't really ensure their own safety, you wouldn't want to leave them alone in an environment that might have some danger there. So supervision is a big one uh, with kids. So what about infants? So there's a lot of different things with infants uh, that that could go wrong. Uh, I saw a a video on social media about uh, an infant on a changing table. And I don't know if you saw this, but so there was a a small infant on the changing table and... um, uh, or, or I guess it was a toddler, and he was going up to a changing table and pulled the the dresser over on top of him. And his brother, uh, I saw that video. Yeah, sort mm-hmm. of got him out from underneath there. Pretty, pretty uh, emotional video. So, what about changing tables? Any kind of advice for those with young parents? Absolutely. The biggest thing um, with our younger infants is never leave them unattended on the changing table because they're going to try to roll over. And at that point that they roll over, they can roll right on off. Um, and always be mindful of the toddler who's walking around with a younger sibling and they want to reach up and help. And if you're not there, then they may accidentally pull them off. So again, watching them because the, the toddlers, they reach that age where they want to help and they think they're being very helpful and they just don't understand um, that it could actually be harmful. Yeah, and thinking about that environment, like where do you put the dirty diapers that doesn't need to be across the room, right. you know, making it in, in close proximity to it, just simple things like that. And uh, and if you have that change in table on carpet, uh, it's not as stable. I know a lot of people do that, and I've seen some, particularly if they have, you know, a narrower base um, so some of them have anchoring uh, mechanisms to the wall for those two so that they don't tump over. Uh, take advantage of that. If you don't know how to do it, find somebody that can anchor it to your wall so that it's not going to fall over. And we mentioned sudden infant death syndrome, too, being one of the leading causes of death under under a uh, year of age. A lot of risk factors for those, right? So there's some things that, that we can help. There are some risk factors that we can't, like prematurity, but... What are some of the risk factors for that that we can we can tell families? Co-sleeping, um, number one. Yeah. Uh, smoking, um, those are risk factors that we could help eliminate. Um, you know, everyone always thinks their grandmother told them, oh, we slept with the infants um, until they were two and three years old, um, and they were okay. And um, we hear that a lot, even when we counsel our uh, patients about patients and their parents about this. Um, But all it takes is that one time for you to say, please don't ever do this again, because we've seen that bad outcome. Um, So infants are just uh, too small, too tiny. If you accidentally roll over on them, they just can't um, push you away. And you may be sleepy because you've got a young infant who's waking up every three hours and you just don't realize it. So um, there are reasons we say this because we've seen the bad outcomes. Yeah, uh, really good data back in the 70s that prompted the American Academy of Pediatrics to sort of push through what they call the back to sleep program. And this was putting kids on their backs to sleep. Um, now, when you do that in the crib is probably the safest place. Uh, it, you know, it doesn't have to be a board, but it has to be a firm surface. I mean, it can be padded, but not deep padding, not quilted padding. Um, anything that can come into contact with that infant's face for prolonged periods of time can cause them to do something called rebreathing, uh, that is thought to be one of the mechanisms from uh, for SIDS. 
So a lot of, you know, everybody wants that nursery to look nice, particularly if you got a young, you know, a girl in there, uh, an infant girl. Uh, but all the, the fluffy, lacy type things, bumper pads like that, they really pose more of a risk uh, for, um, for sudden infant death syndrome. So just be thinking about that. And there's nothing harmful about a child going to sleep uh, on their back. I mean, that's the safest way to sleep. Uh, not with the parent, like Dr. Mitchell said, with co-sleeping, but uh, in, in a separate place. And a lot of people do that in the room. They have the bassinet in there. Uh, that's fine. Uh, you know, you, you can, uh, over time, move them, transition them to another room. But that's that's a big a big issue. You know, nightlights are a big thing, too. A lot of people have those. Uh, this is sort of like a safety issue for the parent. Because, uh, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've gone into a, a child's room at night and tripped over something, usually an older child. But a nightlight's nice to sort of show you where you're going. Uh, but think about it, where you plug those in. If you plug them in around curtains, there's certainly at least a potential fire risk there if the curtains can come between that plug and the uh, and the, the nightlight. Um, and speaking of fire, uh, smoke alarm, something simple that you can have in your house uh, and uh, not just for fires, but for carbon monoxide uh, alarms as well to, to try to prevent uh, inhalation injuries uh, with fires. And generally speaking, you should have those in every bedroom uh, and then kitchens, of course, and other areas of the house. Um, and, you know, I don't know about you. My alarms test me because they go off. And what time do they go off? They go off at 2 a.m. I think that they've designed them to be annoying that way. Uh, when the batteries go out on them. But you want to test those things yearly. There are some situations where they may not work, but that can definitely save a life with those. We're talking about uh, safety issues today on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We'd love to hear from you. got plenty of time for your questions, not just about safety, but about other health issues that have been burning on your mind all week, uh, maybe longer, and you need some answers to those. We can tackle those today. You can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can email us at kids at mpbonline.org. So what about, you know, windows? I mean, windows, uh, you know, people, you see all these old shows, and everybody had the window open. Absolutely. And, um, you know, for, for when as kids get older, you have that, and a lot of Sometimes the kids' rooms will be upstairs, or you might have a multi-level apartment complex. Um, that's something that I don't know that parents really think about a whole lot, and they don't think that their kid can open a window. Absolutely. I had a patient in clinic um, that came in because his mom found him. He had crawled out of the window and on the roof, and she actually had the latches and the barriers in place, and he was somehow able to MacGyver his way around them, um, <laughs> and she found him sitting on the roof, and she, of course, almost had a heart attack and <laughs> didn't know what to do, but she had had those things in place, so it was a little bit more difficult for him but he had older brothers and yeah. he was just adventurous and all boy at six years old and that's where he wanted to be so um we always you know even if we don't think they'll do it there's going to be that one that does it absolutely yeah. so never be too cautious i've got one like that my youngest was like that and at six he six or seven he may have even been younger than that he fell out of a tree and caught himself by his foot uh, I don't I think it was intentional, but it was quite dramatic. But he's uh, no fear, no fear of heights for that, that kid. Uh, what about toy chests? You know, uh, to- my kids had, uh, when we 
moved into our current home, we had some some just simple toy chests built in their rooms. Um, you know, that's a that's a potential risk. Too. Absolutely. Cutting, um, you know, they can cut themselves on whatever you use to nail it or the latch themselves. And then even more concerning is, um, you know, anytime you've seen a child go to a toy chest, what do they do? They pull out every toy and then they want to get in the box themselves. Um, and if they accidentally pull that lid over on top of them and we're just not aware, then they could be in that box with the latch and unable to get out. Um, so just things to consider because that could flip over for them and then they're unable to yeah and and a lot of people have antique chests too Mm -hmm. that they keep things in and you can get them open but you can't necessarily get them you know get them uh uh, once you're in there inside Mm -hmm. of them uh and certainly you want something that they can open up that you can get get into pretty easily so for toddlers you know toddlers get into everything that's part of the definition i think of a toddler is they can move around in places and um when I have discussions with, when we have our discussions with parents, you know, a lot of times we'll say, well, you need to childproof your home for a toddler that's uh, that's getting around, running around different things. And they'll say, oh, we've got everything up in the cabinets uh, high. And, um, you know, as, as Dr. Mitchell said, you got some MacGyvers out there that can figure out a way to do that. By the way, if you're not familiar with that, go to Netflix and uh, <laughs> and check out MacGyver, one of the best shows ever growing up. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they can climb things. That they can uh, have all kinds of different mechanisms and homemade ladders that they use that they can push around. Um, so there's all kinds of different ways that they could get into things. Uh, and outlets, you know, um, electrical outlets are one. So what kind of protection should you have and where should you have that for outlets? On every outlet that you can see and get access to, um, put the little plastic covers in there. You can start early. I never, you know, tell my patients to wait on that or their parents. I'll say at six, seven months, let's go ahead and get prepared for that because soon those toddlers are crawling and then they're walking and pulling up and they're getting into everything. So it's never too early to just go ahead and be prepared because you don't want to be that to be something that you've overlooked because now you're chasing after a busy toddler um, all over the house. So any outlet that you see um, have those things covered. Yeah, we don't think about, uh, you know, in, in bathrooms, too, there's a lot of those hair dryers. There's all kinds of electrical things that you have plugged in. And a lot of people, I think probably most people, will just keep those plugged in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's an easy thing for a toddler to pull on and then try to figure out where is that, how did that go in the wall like that and put that finger in there and uh, have an electrocution injury. So uh, those things are real cheap. They're easy to get. Uh, there are places that donate those, too. If you, you know, if you're strapped for cash, you can... Uh, uh, ask around about different things just to, to help protect those those outlets so that those young fingers don't uh, pry into there. Let's go to Eileen, I believe is the name, from Tennessee. Good morning, Eileen. Good morning. I had a question about um, the new finished baby boxes, and I didn't know whether to return a cradle I had bought. I'm going to watch my grandson, and is there value in the baby boxes versus just the regular cribs and cradles the baby box that you put beside your bed to let them sleep in is that what you're referring to right but i'm thinking since he'll only be here in the day right it's portable Mm -hmm. but is it for safety reasons and they said in finland i think that now it has reduced the um percentage that children 
Mm-hmm. Die from SIDS. Right. And that's what um, Dr. Stewart was mentioning earlier. The biggest thing we want is the child to be on their back in a safe environment, flat surface, uh, have the edges around the box so that way they can't, you know, get out of that age. Now, if you have an older, you know, older six, seven month old, they could that could potentially not be as safe because they could try to sit up and tumble the box over but if you're taking care of a younger infant who's not capable of doing those things i think a box would be appropriate for daytime naps um or something like that so would you return your cradle and buy a box i had bought i had a cradle and now i bought a mattress and stuff (laughs) and i'm debating do i return everything and go for the baby box or do i keep what i have as long as he's flat and I don't put anything in with them. Yeah, there, I don't know of any data that, that supports that. If you're doing everything right with the cradle, like having, you know, I, and it, again, it's a, it's a mattress, a firm mattress, though. Uh, not a whole, a whole lot of coverings on that. It's actually recommended that you just bring the room temperature up uh, instead of putting a lot of covers on, on top of them. Uh, on their back. Uh, if the if the bars you know the the bars really need to be less than two inches on that cradle uh, okay. so that they can't get anything through there. If it meets all those criteria, which most of them, if you've bought it recently, are probably going to you know uh, be within code for that, then I wouldn't go out and buy the baby box. The baby box in Finland, so that was something that they did nationwide. They gave it to families as they went home from the hospital. Uh, because they had kids going home and they were co-sleeping and they said, hey, here's a box. And it sounds horrendous. You know, I've told other people this. I'm like, put your baby in a box. It's actually, it's more like a box that's open on the top and then it has, you know, solid walls on it. So it's it's okay. very safe, very stable. But if you've already got something that you've bought and you already got it set up, I wouldn't worry about it and I would go with that. And most of those you know, if you you know if you do have to keep them later on, if you do have the opportunity to keep them uh, uh, down the line as they get older, you could probably use it a little bit longer than, uh, the, box. than the box, like Dr. Mitchell said. Right, but I just I just for safety reasons, I was just you know that crazy grandmother. No, you're <laughs> the safe the grandmother. Or do I keep the cradle? Do I do right? No, but. you're doing the right thing. That's that's something you know. You all, look good. Parents and grandparents they always want to do what's best, and sometimes there's just not a whole lot of you know uh, difference between a couple of different things. But it's never never a bad thing to try to do what's best. But I, I would say if you already got it, go with it and uh, don't don't buy the box. Yeah, for those of you out there who are thinking about that, and maybe again if it's from a, a temporary thing, those baby boxes are great. Okay, thank you very much. Sure, thanks for calling. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We're talking about safety issues today and all kinds of other things. You can give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to go to Wes in Louisiana.
informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. MPB Think Radio goes off the beaten path with diverse perspectives and award-winning content, attracting an audience who appreciate honesty and value. Sound familiar? Reach your target audience with an MPB underwriting credit. For more information, go to mpbonline.org. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens with Dr. Jimmy Stewart. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one 877 mpb ring That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, kids at mbbonline.org. Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with Dr. Katie Mitchell, and we're talking about safety issues for you and your family. What kind of issues or questions do you have about those things that might be unsafe, or maybe you've got a a new one that's in the home. Maybe it's yours, or maybe your grandparent that uh, just want to make sure everything's safe before they get there. We would love to hear from you this morning. You can give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email us at kids at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Wes in Louisiana. Good morning, Wes. Are you there, Wes? Wes. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Thank you for calling this morning. Okay. uh, So I have a seven-year-old daughter, and um, my wife and I actually are expecting another one um, pretty soon here. And it was funny you mentioned earlier that um, it's not really that many years removed, but I'm starting to think about some of the things that we experienced as new parents with my daughter um, and how scary it was not knowing, you know, not knowing if we were doing everything right. But uh, with another child on the way, I and constant, one of my biggest fears is because something did happen with my daughter is, is knowing what to do if she's choking or, you know, also a CPR. If uh, we had to administer CPR, which I took a class when I was, um, you know, years ago, but I honestly can't remember everything. And if that's something that uh, is recommended or do we have, uh, a better chance, you know, uh, with the paramedic or, you know, whatever the emergency situation were to be. I know it's risky. Right. Absolutely. Um, I would recommend retaking that class. It's always great to get a refresher. And we actually, even as physicians, go through that class ever so many years. The guidelines change as they have more and more studies come out and research this further. So it's always great to just feel more comfortable. Um, and by doing that, 
refresher with the right. class because um, fast action is going to give you the best result. So if your child is choking and we wait for the paramedics who may not be there for three, four or five minutes, um, that's vital, vital time there for us. So anything that we could do in the interim is going to be the most beneficial for your child. So anyone who's going to be taking care of the child, mom, dad, grandparents, the nanny who's going to be there during the day or the babysitter, anyone else who's going to be alone with the child. And that could potentially happen because it's better to be prepared and not need it than need it and not be prepared. Exactly. Um, So another, well, thank you for that. And another question I had also with a car seat, you know, we, we still have a lot of, stuff from uh, my daughter mm-hmm. that we've, we've held on to, but I know car seats in particular, I want to say they, over time, they expire, even though they might be perfectly, you know, in good shape or whatnot, but uh, is there a recommendation? Could I, would I be, still be able to use the car seat my daughter was using or hand me down, say, you know, my niece, uh, my brother-in-law had just given us and, yeah. you know, see if we could use it. I don't, some of this stuff, I don't know if it's overkill or if it's just, you know, right, good right. practice or, or whatnot. Well, they have, they have, Wes, they have changed the the guidelines for uh, car seats a little bit over the years from time to time, like you mentioned, and try to simplify that because, uh, you know, for a while they had all kinds of different height and weight requirements and age requirements, yeah. and it can get uh, pretty, pretty confusing. So uh, let me let me just briefly go over sort of the general requirements on that and what what's recommended, and then we can you know more details to what uh, your situation. So if they're less than two years of age, uh, up until the time a child is less than two years of age, the safest place for them is in the back seat in a uh, a child's uh, car seat. And this is, you know, sort of an infant carrier that faces rearward. So it's not facing forward. That's the safest place for a child because of the mechanism of most accidents when they happen. uh, That protects the child's uh, body, in particular, their head and neck. So those seats are designed, yeah, you know, when they're facing rearward. The problem that people have with that is they like to see their kid. And if you're driving, uh, you know, a lot of parents are like, but what... What if the, something happens to them and I can't see them? So there's all kinds of little cheap mirrors that you can place in different places, you know, on the back seat right. that you can maneuver around to, to see them. So less than two years of age in the back seat until they outgrow that seat. And every seat's designed a little bit differently. Here's the tricky part. The easy part of it is that, that on each of those car seats, it'll say if they reach this many pounds or if they are longer than this, uh, this uh, many inches, then they outgrow that. So every seed is going to be a little bit different. But until they're two years of age or they've outgrown it from a weight or a length pers- uh, you know, point, then they need to, to, you know, they need to stay in there. From there, there's a lot of seats that face forward. Again, the back seat's the safest place still. Uh, the harness mechanism, so those, those seat belts that are like the, you know, the, the uh, Indy drivers or you know, even right. race car drivers, those are a lot yeah. safer than the lap belts alone or a, certainly a shoulder belt because where those uh, come across on a child at that age. So right. if, if you can get one, you know, the next seat up is, is facing forward after age two or if they've outgrown those, those uh, height or weight um, requirements on the seat, that would be... Where do you- I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, uh, you... yeah. Um, the um, the location though. Uh, 
we were told, I, I can remember now, correct me if I'm wrong, is it safer to put them in the middle, the infant, uh, in the back seat, the rear facing, you know, or should it be on the driver or passenger side? Yeah, a little bit more. Debatable? Right. A little bit more controversy on that. Uh, you know, so it's it's not as much. The data is not as good with that, whether it's, you know, on the passenger rear side or the driver's rear side or the middle. Uh, but the most yeah. important thing would be in the back seat. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's, that's a, OK. And, and then the um, only the only other thing would be if they're over four foot nine inches, that's the point where you can put them in a booster seat with a lap belt. Um but that, you know, that lap belt needs to be as low as possible on their hips, over their upper thighs, and then the shoulder belt needs to come across the middle of their chest. If it's up around their neck, that's going to cause a lot of problems if you have a wreck. Um, yeah, we were actually just, just dealing with that recently. We, yeah. um, it, it, it does get confusing with the different manufacturers, and sure. we just mm-hmm. kind of got fed up with trying to figure it out. Right. And you actually, can... and my wife go to the state police. Uh, that's it. Uh, local yeah. troops, yeah. So they they'll they'll take care of it and, and help you out and show yeah. you how to properly. Yeah, our, our, does, our, highway, yeah. Pa- our highway patrol is excellent in that you can go into all their local regional offices and take your car seat with uh, with you. And uh, they'll help you install it. They'll make sure that it's uh, that it's you know correct for you, for the individual child. So uh, that sounds like a you know you got the you you got the right things going on, Wes. Do they expire? The age of the car Some of them might, depending on the material that they're made out of, but most of them are pretty, you know, they can last a, a pretty long time. Now, the, the problem would be a lot of them aren't continued to be tested. Uh, you know, some of the bigger brands are the ones that you want to look at. Let me give you a website that you can go to, and it has a list of car seats that have been tested and sort of validated as some of the safer ones, along with some prices, too. It's uh, healthy children, all both words together, healthychildren.org, healthychildren.org. And they have, if you'll just, you know, on the search, uh, search mechanism there, just say within that website, you know, car seats, and they'll have a page on there with that. And they've done some pretty good data on researching what, which ones are the best and, and the safest. Great question, Wes. We're uh, Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We're talking about safety issues this morning with our special guest, Dr. Katie Mitchell. We're going to take your questions or calls and touch on a couple of more safety issues before the hour's up. Plenty of time for you to call us at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. We'll be right back after this break. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. 
You work hard to offer a high-quality, unique product, and you need an audience that appreciates this. MPB listeners go out of their way to find diverse perspectives and award-winning news and programming. Make our audience your audience with an MPB underwriting credit. For more information, go to mpbonline.org. can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens with Dr. Jimmy Stewart. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, kids at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with Dr. Katie Mitchell from MedPeds Residence. And we're talking about safety issues in the home and elsewhere with you and your family, trying to keep everybody safe this spring break week. Hope everybody's enjoying it despite the little cold snap. Why can't it be warm during spring break? Why does it have to be warm the week before spring break? Just doesn't seem right. So uh, one of the things uh, I've got coming up, I have a 16-year-old, or actually he's about to be 16-year-old, and will be getting his license uh, to drive. So if uh, if you're a parent out there and you're in the same position, uh, my heart goes out to you in the same way. I mean, it's just something that I worry about way too much every day, lots of prayers said every day. Uh, But, you know, that brings up a lot of safety issues with vehicles, not just if you have one that's driving, but um, with with younger kids, too. And certainly the weather will become hot here in Mississippi in the south very quickly. And there's a lot of safety issues if you have children in the car. Um, Some of those involve overheating, and that can happen pretty quick, particularly with younger, uh, younger infants. So you need, you need to think about that, about where you're going. And I know a lot of people are like, I'll just be in for five minutes uh, and, and leave those kids in the car. Uh, just, again, it's a supervision issue. And uh, younger babies can't really regulate their temperature in the same fashion that older kids or adults can. And uh, in the summertime, the temperature inside a car can be in excess of 120 degrees. Uh, so just think about it. Would you let your child... Stay outside in the Sahara Desert uh, with no access to water uh, for, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Probably not, you know, if you've got a six-month-old. So certainly never the right idea to do that. And then there's other things you can do while you're driving uh, that can be sort of distractors or safety issues. Right. Mm, absolutely. Um, just texting and driving. We don't want to be doing those things. And another thing to consider, you know, um, we hear the and see the stories on the news that are just heartbreaking of, you know, maybe a parent forgot to drop the kid off, the child off, and they thought that they had dropped him off. So instituting a system between the parents that maybe every day, as soon as they get back in the car from dropping the child off at daycare or with their parents or whoever, you know, is watching the child during the day, just send a cute quick text before you start driving and say, I dropped off Susie or Sally. Um, so that way it's done every day. So then the other parent who, if they don't get that text, then they're concerned. Yeah. Um, so just something to institute some small things um, to let you know, or making a habit to always look in the back seat. just small things that we can do um, every day. So that way we don't 
make that unfortunate accident. And yeah, it can happen. I mean, you and again, if you have the MacGyver child, uh, funny story. One of my uh, friends and uh, my uh, family physician in the in the Jackson area, when his one of his children was really younger, I think she was probably about four or five. Uh, they uh, they got in the car, they went to school, and all these cars were like honking at them going down the road. And the one, their daughter was latched on to the uh, spare tire on the back of the vehicle going down the road <laughs> and thought it was great fun, too. Uh, so you never know what's going to happen. And you can, get, you can get so distracted. There are so many different distractions, uh, even more than what we had 20, 30 years ago, particularly with phones and uh, just think about that. There's lots of good apps that you can get to uh, to remove that distraction during those times or even putting it on silent. Certainly can have those apps for your kids. Uh, we've had our uh, our friend uh, Eric Henry on here from the Mississippi Highway Patrol to talk about some of those, probably have him back pretty soon. Um, but the, lots of lots of safety issues in and around vehicles, and they can be, you know, they're great for transportation and uh, not so good if uh, if it's you versus another vehicle. Uh, in an accident. And with the warmer weather, of course, comes water activities in Mississippi and in the South. Uh, lots of people have pools and uh, lots of people will go to different places. And certainly you'd want to protect those areas against smaller children. Swimming lessons are always a good thing for kids. And the earlier, the better. A lot of controversy over toddlers getting in the water like that and, and some of the methods. But Every kid should have some access, I think, to uh, to swimming lessons that can protect them, although it's not 100%. So even if you have that, uh, make sure that you've got a fence around a pool and there's uh, adult supervision there at all times. And as Dr. Mitchell mentioned earlier, you know, CPR is uh, certainly something that uh, basic CPR skills for somebody uh, who's going to be around that pool uh, is a great idea. Uh, very simple things that you can do for near drownings and drownings um, and uh, that can uh, save a life of uh, your child or somebody else's. So those are things to think about, too. And and finally, you know, Mississippi, uh, we love to be outdoors, got lots of outdoor activities, lots of guns in the state. And uh, and I know my kids, uh, one of my kids is involved in 4-H uh, shotgun uh, activities throughout the year, about this time of year. Uh, what kind of things can we say about gun safety to, to make sure we can be safe with those? Always have them locked up. Yep. Have them in um, your gun safe. Have them locked with a code that only the parents know the code to. Um, I would say, you know, not even letting the teenagers who are hunting to have it because there's could be that day when they want to show their friend their new gun and then, you know, an unfortunate incident occurs. So we always want them to be supervised and always locked up. And when they're transported to making sure that you don't transport them loaded, uh, that's a big that's a big no-no just because of things that can happen. I know in 4-H, are really good about this, uh, about the safety issue. That's the, the most important thing around the range and uh, wherever you're using that firearm is to make sure that uh, the chamber's empty, uh, that you have a breech block in there, you know, if it's a shotgun or, or rifle. And um, that I can't, you know, can't begin to to emphasize that enough just too many tragedies that we see of uh, good families that were having fun and just had an accident and just all because of of safety issues and certainly that's something that if you're methodical about it every time and just uh, to establish sort of a routine for whoever's handling those that's going to be the safest thing so that they can continue to enjoy that as a family 
This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We've been talking about safety issues, and that's just about all the time we have left for the hour. I want to appreciate all of our callers for calling and our special guest, Dr. Katie Mitchell. Southern Remedy Kids and Teens is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. And again, a special thanks to Dr. Katie Mitchell for coming in today. I'm Dr. Jimmy. You can join us next Thursday at 11 o'clock for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.